0: Father, we come before you one more time to ask you to speak to our hearts. We know that we need you, and we're so thankful that we have the assurance that we have in the gospel, uh, that you do love us and you care for us. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless this time, that you would bless this message. I ask that you'd speak to our hearts and give us exactly what we need. May every person who comes here today, may they they know uh, in their souls that they heard from you, and we'll give you thanks for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. Let's go ahead and take our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter number 12. Matthew chapter 12. And uh, Aiden, I think I'm still hearing a little bit of that that, uh, pad music in the back. Matthew chapter number 12. And we have been in a sermon series that we are calling Joining Jesus' Team. Joining Jesus' Team. We've been considering over the course of the last several weeks as we have continued walking through the gospel of Matthew, that Jesus, as incredible as he is, like he's doing an incredible work in the world. And in Jesus's ministry, he was doing amazing things. He was raising the dead. He was uh, taking people who couldn't hear and he was giving them hearing. Uh, Jesus was taking a woman who uh, had an issue of blood for 12 years. She was sick and she had spent all of her money trying to find healing and she couldn't until she met Jesus. Uh, so we see that Jesus is doing this incredible work. He's teaching these amazing things. And yet what we found, what we have found over the last several weeks is that Jesus does not want to do it alone. Jesus wants to include his disciples in his work and we believe that today Jesus wants to include you and he wants to include me in the work that he's doing in the world. So we've been considering different aspects of of Jesus's team we've considered the fact that we are wanted we we are desired by Jesus but then we also learned that just because we're on Jesus's team that doesn't automatically mean that our life becomes uh, a bed of roses like life is just hard sometimes and that includes for followers of Jesus so we saw that but the beautiful thing that we saw as we continued our study is that even though life gets hard uh, we know that we don't walk through any of this alone That Jesus is with us. And he says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light because he actually bears all of our burdens with us. That's the joy of being on Jesus's team. Uh, And then uh, so today, what we want to look at as we as we wrap up this sermon series is Jesus's vision for his team. What is Jesus's vision for his team? Every team has one. Every team has a goal of what they want their team to look like. I've, I've had the privilege of coaching a couple of different teams and all of our teams. Like one time I coached uh, Wee basketball. So it was a bunch of like uh, second graders and third graders and they were playing basketball. And for them all, like I was a success if I got them to just like run up and down the court without stopping and picking their nose. So my goal for them for peewee basketball was just like, hey, let's teach them a little bit about basketball. For other teams, the goals were to win championships and all those kinds of things. Uh, and here in Matthew 12, we see Jesus's vision for his team because ultimately Jesus's vision for his team is for his team to be so much more than a team. It's to be a family. I find it really interesting, like we're, we're getting into like sports season. I'm, get, I'm getting into sports heaven. And it's really interesting, whenever teams win championships, they always do the interviews and maybe you've seen it before where everyone's jumping up and down. You have all these grown like 30, 35 year old men and they're crying all over each other and all those kinds of things. A bunch of grown men acting like babies because they won a trophy. And then what always happens and I always find it really interesting is that during the interviews, after the championships, the teams always say, the players always say, man, this team isn't just my team. These are my brothers. This is my family. Like, we have become a family over this year. And then the next week, all the coaches that lost get, like, all the, all the terrible teams get fired. And the reason why is because there wasn't unity. There wasn't unity. And in Matthew 12, we see Jesus' vision for what is the church supposed to be? What is Jesus's team supposed to look like? So Matthew chapter 12, if you would look with me in verse number 46, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 46, it says, while he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, behold, your mother and brothers stand without desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him, That told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Like, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Who's my mother? Who are my brothers? And he stretched forth his hand towards his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Let's consider Jesus' vision for his team. We open up the text by seeing that there is some major distraction going on. In verse 46, it says while he was still speaking. So this is picking up from where we left off last week. Last week was a pretty intense message. If you were with us last week, because we were talking a lot about things like, we were talking about like things like demons, and we were talking about the devil, and we were talking about Beelzebub, the the Lord of the Flies. If you were with us last week, and Jesus is doing a lot of speaking because he is being accused of being demon possessed. That's what he's being accused of. He is healing people. He is doing amazing things. Jesus is bringing life into the region, and yet, and yet, he is being accused, even though everyone knows that Jesus is doing good, Jesus is loving people, Jesus is caring for people, Jesus is being accused of being demon-possessed, so Jesus goes back, and uh, without preaching last week's message, Jesus challenges their thinking. He says, hey, it doesn't make sense because what I'm doing is good. What I'm doing is bringing peace. What I'm doing is bringing healing. Like what you're accusing me of just does not make sense. And then he goes into this this, really this kind of long message on the difference between being filled with the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is and our need for him versus spiritual darkness. So that's what Jesus is talking about. And it says, while he was still speaking, behold Do you notice that word behold there for a second? That word is like an expl- ex- that's like an exclamation. Uh, the writer is telling us. Matthew was telling us, hey watch out something big is about to happen. Behold his mother and his brothers show up and it says that they show up from without. So here's the idea. Jesus is doing all of this teaching. All of his followers are wanting to hear from him, and and they're listening, and they're learning, and they're growing, and Jesus is doing amazing things. And then all of a sudden, Jesus' mom and brother show up from outside and say, hey, we need to talk to Jesus for a second, tell Jesus to stop preaching, tell Jesus to stop teaching, tell Jesus to stop doing what he's doing, and come outside with us. Now, in my research for this, some people really believe this. Some people believe that like Jesus' mother and brothers were probably trying to like, have an intervention. They're trying to have an intervention. Like, can you just imagine that for a second? Now, we know from very early on in, in the other Gospels that like Mary knew who Jesus was. Mary knew that Jesus was was God's own son. She was virgin born. She knew that Jesus was to be the Messiah, the one who would save his people from his sins. We saw in Matthew chapter one. But what we also know is that Jesus's brothers didn't believe him. Isn't that incredible? Like, they grew up with Jesus, who was perfect. They grew up with Jesus, who never sinned. Like, Jesus, you know, Jesus Jesus never, like, Jesus never talked back to his mom. Jesus never disobeyed. Jesus never did any of those things. And those uh, brothers and sisters grew up around Jesus. They saw him. They lived with him. And yet they still didn't believe him. That's what it tells us in John seven fifty seven that his brothers did not believe him. So they come and they are not at the feet of Jesus. They're not listening to Jesus. They are on the outside. They're not listening to what he has to say. And they're saying, hey, tell Jesus to stop talking and, and, and come with us. We need to talk to him for a minute. I just imagine their plan, like uh, James and Judah and Jude, and, and, and they're all getting this plan together. Like, hey, uh, we just know that our that our teachers, the Pharisees, like they don't like Jesus and there's something wrong with him. And maybe he's like, he's kind of lost it a little bit. So let's get him out and let's just like kidnap him and take him away. Let's just take him back home and sit him straight, like sit him down and talk to him straight. Like that's that's their plan. And this is incredible to me because this is on the tail end of this spiritual war conversation that Jesus is having. And then all of a sudden, Jesus's mom and brothers, like the ones who are close to him, show up trying to interfere with his message. Can I tell you something? That whenever it comes to you being on Jesus's team, whenever it comes to you living for Jesus, whenever it comes to you making a difference for his kingdom, there will always be distractions that come your way. There will always be things that try to distract you from your relationship with Jesus. And can I just tell you something this morning? That the devil doesn't fight fair. The devil fights dirty. He will fight you through this. Like the devil is fighting at Jesus. And he's using his family to do it. Now let's be very clear about something right off the bat, is that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So let's just remember something right off the bat, before we get further into this, is that every human conflict that we have, every every, every relationship strain that we have, anything that, that tears us down, that wears us down, like another person isn't the problem, it's the powers of darkness that's the problem, okay? Because because the person that you're fighting with the person that you're struggling with that person is made in the image of God that person is loved by God so that person is not your enemy that person is loved by God the problem is the enemy so yesterday was the wedding and we were really getting into this like I got to do premarital counseling uh, with Joel and Kayla for the last several weeks getting them ready for the wedding and one of the big things that we talked about in marriage so if you're married like here's a little bit of here's a little bit of marriage counseling advice is that whenever it comes to fights between you and your spouse, and this works for everyone, this works for everyone, not just for marriage, okay? But whenever it comes to fights between you and your spouse, like your spouse is not the enemy, the problem, what's between you, is the enemy. So if you have the mindset of, hey, we're not fighting each other, we're fighting with each other against this problem, then that changes the way that you fight that it changes the way that you fight in marriage so i want to fight well in my marriage because here's the reality adrian and i can get into it sometimes we can go back and forth at it sometimes but when we keep in mind that hey this like the problem is the enemy another person isn't my enemy then we do a lot better so we need to remember that as Mary and as Jesus' brothers are coming and they're, they're a distraction. Like this is a spiritual problem. This is not a, this is not a uh, these are people who are like the enemy of enemies. Does that make sense? Does that make sense where we're at? So, but there is this, there is this distraction. And Jesus' family comes and they're trying to distract Jesus from what he is called to do. And, let's, and can I just uh, like here is a practice that we should all take because every single one of us We'll go through this. Every single one of us do go through this. All of you, like the enemy has a weapon of choice against you to, dis- to try to distract you from who he wants you to be. All right. The enemy has a weapon of choice that he likes to throw at you to distract you from who God wants you to be. In this case, with Jesus, it was, it was family members. It was family members. And I know that sometimes, sometimes that can be the case. That can be the case where we want to serve Jesus. And then it just seems like every time we like want to serve Jesus, then then there's just like, there's that one, there's that one uncle, there's that, there's that one somebody uh, who just says something that just like really, that just really eats at you. For some people, it is work. For some people, it's work Uh, where your boss is more like a slave driver uh, than it is a boss. And the reality is, is like, uh, If you allow your job to become your God, if you allow your job to become your God, then that's a problem, that's a problem. So work is good, we're supposed to work. All right, that's something that God gave from day one before sin in the garden. God gave man a job, like that's the first thing that he did for Adam, he gave him a job and it was to name the animal. So work is good, but it's not God. And your job can become a bad thing for you if it becomes a God thing in your life. So the enemy is going to fight. It might be, uh, it might be through, through that. It might be through finances. Uh, it might be through finances. And here's the reality, and, and I just want to be very clear on this too: is that sometimes whenever it comes to these things, like the devil isn't after your finances. Like the devil's not after your finances for the sake of getting after your finances. Okay. So, like, so let me just say it this way: like the devil doesn't have this bank account, like the bank of the, bank, the bank of Satan. And it's not like his bank account gets bigger every time that, you ha- that you're struggling financially. Okay, so it's not like, oh man, I'm struggling financially. Like the devil's, just after, the devil's just after my money. Like he doesn't have a bank account somewhere that gets bigger whenever your account gets smaller. But here's the thing, with all of these things, here's the battleground. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said this, uh, or I think it was C.S. Lewis who said this. There is, a, there is a war that is raging between the armies of heaven and the armies of hell. And the battlefield is fought on the hearts of men. It's fought on the hearts of men. So there is this distraction for Jesus here in this moment. it's his mother and his brothers who are trying to distract him from who he has called them to be. But I want you to notice next, Jesus is focused on his team. Jesus is focused on his team. In In verse 48, he says, But he answered and said unto them that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? Like, that's an amazing thing to me, that it's like, uh, they're like, hey, Jesus, Jesus, hey, your mom and your brothers, they want to talk to you. Like, they they want they have something that they need to say to you. And Jesus, like, noted, like, before it said, behold, his mom and brothers come to distract him. And then it says, Jesus says, who's my mom? Who are my brothers? And I was sitting with that this week, every single day, and I'm just sitting with that, and I'm like, Like, let's put it behold, like right there, because Jesus is throwing out something that he knows who his mom is. He knows who his brothers are. They know who his mom is. They know who his brothers are. And Jesus is saying, who's my mom? Who are my brothers? And here's the point. He's getting you to think something. He is asking a question, not because he doesn't know. Like, God never asks a question that he doesn't know the answer to. He asks questions so that you can figure out the answers. It's like in Genesis 3, whenever Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and God shows up and he says, Adam, where are you? God knew where he was, but Adam says, I was hiding from you. God is drawing something out of him. So Jesus says, who's my mom? Who are my brothers? And this is huge. He points to his disciples. He points to his disciples and he says, behold, behold my mother and my brothers my mother and my brothers jesus's focus was on his spiritual family jesus's focus was on the people who he was doing who he was on mission with jesus's focus jesus's intense focus was on was on helping his disciples grow to be the people whom he has called them to be. That is where Jesus' focus lies. He stretched his hands toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same as my brother and my sister and my mothers. And the, re- the reality is, is that you and I will have focuses, in, we will have a focus in our life. Like, did you know for example that priorities, like a hundred years ago no one said I have priorities because that's more than one. Uh, it was always just priority like you have one you have one priority All right Paul said it this way this one thing I do, not these many things I dabble with there's a folk there's a focus and Jesus's focus is on his disciples. And can I just challenge you this morning that 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 your spiritual family, your spiritual family should be a major priority in your life. Your spiritual family, the people that you grow with, your your community group should be a major focus. It should be a major priority in your life. The people who like the people that you're being discipled with, those people should be a major priority in your life because God is making us into a body. He's making us into a building. And whenever there's bricks missing, then you have a faulty house. But God is making us into a spiritual building and we need to be committed to that building. He's called us to be a spiritual body. Now, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, hey, some people sit, like some like he talks about how some people are the ears, some people are the nose, and some people are the hands. Like nobody wants a body that's missing a nose. Nobody wants a body that's missing a tongue. Nobody wants a body that's missing fingers, right? Well, if you are, if you belong to new life, Baptist church, and you are a part of this church body. You are a part of the body, and whenever you're not committed, and when you're not in, like part of us is missing, and we feel it. And we feel it. Some people, whenever I say that, some people are like, whenever I say something, it happened, it happened very recently where I said to somebody, like, hey, I missed you. And they said, No, you didn't. I just show up. It's like, that's not true. You are missed. You are loved here. You are cared for here. You are prayed for here. Like we, like, and that's the way it should be, not just from pastor uh, to church family. That's the way it should be for all of us together. That's the way it should be for all of us together. Like when you are missing, like part of the body is missing and it's important. And it's important. God said uh, Jesus focuses on his disciples. That's where Jesus's focus is. And here's just a question for us to all consider this morning. If Jesus's focus was on his disciples. If Jesus's focus was on his believers, shouldn't our focus be the same? Shouldn't our focus be similar? And amazing things can happen whenever we have this kind of focus. And the Book of Nehemiah, I love. I love the Book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a story about this about this man named Nehemiah, who lives who lives in. Uh, oh man, I just lost it. I think it was in Syria. He's a Jewish man and he lives in Syria. He's a he's the servant of the king. He's the king's cupbearer. So here's what he does. Like how cool of a job is this? As long as everything is going good. Uh, so his job was whenever the king had a drink or when the king had food, like his job was to deliver it. But it was also to taste it before he got it. Uh, it was He was to taste it before he got it to make sure it wasn't poison. Like, how awesome of a job is that? Like, my job, like, you get awesome jobs. Like, if I wasn't a pastor, if here's the job that I would want. I would want to be a food critic. I would want to be a food critic. Like, just go to five-star restaurants and, and eat free food and then write about it. Like, some of you are like, man, I missed my calling. I missed my calling. That's what I need to go for. That's, that's Nehemiah's job. Like Nehemiah's job is he delivers the food to the king and he makes sure that it's not poisoned so he eats it. So as long as it's not poisoned, that is a really awesome job. He's living in Syria whenever he gets the news that his home city of Jerusalem, the city of God, all of the walls have been torn down. The temple has been destroyed. And it says that Nehemiah weeps. He's broken. He fasts and he prays for his home city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So he goes before the king, and after spending a lot of time in prayer, he goes before the king, and he's sad, and, and, and the king notices. Like that's a job. That's that's something. If you don't, if, like, if you don't give service with a smile, you know, it's kind of like when you go to Chick Fil A, you just expect them to say "my pleasure" uh, for for the king's cup Like, if he doesn't have a smile, and if he's not excited to deliver food and drink to the king, uh, then like he doesn't get like he gets fired. And for him, getting fired means like he loses his head. So he shows up and he's, he's heartbroken. He's sad. I just picture like you see the, the tear stains coming down his cheeks and the king notices and he says, Hey, you're never, you're never sad like this. You're, you're never like this. What, what, what's going on? Why are you sad? And he says, Hey, I, I'm brokenhearted because my city has, is in ruins. So the king actually says, Nehemiah, you go lead the project. You build up the city walls again. You rebuild, you rebuild the city walls. So that's what Nehemiah does. And the book of Nehemiah is all about Nehemiah leading the people of Israel to build up the walls of Jerusalem. And time after time after time throughout the book. It's a short book. You should read it this week. It's really, it's a lot of fun. But time after time after time, people come to Nehemiah and try to distract him. They say, hey, come down from the wall. We want to have a conversation with you. Uh, They falsely accuse him and they say, hey, we're going to send this letter to the king that you're trying to lead a rebellion unless you come and unless you come down and talk to us. And Nehemiah keeps on saying, I have a great work to do, so I cannot come down to you. I have a great work that I must be about. I have a great work. I can't get, I can't come down to you. I have to focus on this work that I'm called to do. And you know how fast, like when you get to the end of the book, I'm going to, spoiler alert. Here's how fast the walls get built back up. He goes through distraction after distraction after distraction. Yet he focuses on the wall. And they, without heavy machinery, uh, without any of that, they build the wall in 52 days. They rebuild an entire city wall structure. In seven weeks, we're called to focus. Like God has given us a calling. He's given us a great commission. Jesus says, go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That is a mission that we have been given by God. You have been given a mission by God to build up other people in the church body for the service of Christ. You have been given a calling by God to share the gospel with people who do not know Jesus as their Savior. That is a calling and that is a mission that we have. That was Jesus' focus and that must be ours as a church. That's Jesus' focus on his team. But then finally as we close the text, I want you to notice one more thing. And then we get that's where we get into Jesus's vision for his team. Jesus's vision for his team. Because he says in verse number 50, for whosoever shall do the will of my father. And that's that's clear. Like that's something that Jesus has regularly and then Jesus clarifies what the will of the father is. The will of the father is to believe in him whom he has sent. So it is a complete faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for whosoever shall do the will of my father, which is in heaven. The same is my brother and my sisters and my mother. So here's Jesus's vision. It's more than a team. Jesus' vision is that they would be a family. The Bible says that as many as received him, that's talking about Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. In Ephesians 1, the Bible says that we who are believers, we have been adopted into God's family. In Hebrews, it says that Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brothers and his sisters. Like whenever Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die. Like think about this. Jesus didn't just die to forgive your sins. He did that, but that's not just what he did. That would be pretty awesome. Jesus did not just die to take you to heaven when you die. And a lot of times, that's the way that we think about it. It's like, oh, I trust Jesus so that whenever I die, I get my get out of hell free card. Like, that's not the, that's not the main reason why Jesus died on the cross. It was not just to take you to heaven after you die. Although that is a beautiful, that is a beautiful part of it. 1 Peter says that Jesus died the righteous for the right for the unrighteous to bring us to God. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus rose again so that you could be a part of his family and what a beautiful thing that it is like Jesus could have saved us to be his servants and that would have been mercy Jesus could have saved us to be his employees and that would have been mercy but Jesus didn't just do that Jesus died and he rose again so that you could be his son and so that you can be his daughter and if I'm Jesus' son and you're Jesus' daughter then that makes us family that makes us family that's Jesus' vision for the church, is that we would truly be the family of God. So could I ask you this morning? That, like, that's why Jesus died. That's why Jesus rose again, is to make us a part of his family. So could I ask you this question? What makes, what makes, like for, like, for your physical family, what are the things that make for great relationships in your family? Like, if you have a great relationship with siblings or, or parents, I'm not, you don't have to answer it out. Thanks. What makes for a great relationship with family members? Could I just suggest to you that whatever it popped up in your mind, it might have been time together, it might have been fun together, it might have been memories together, it might have been like, however you answer that, could I just suggest that those things probably make for great relationships in a spiritual family as well? If you never show, like, if I never went home, if I never went home to my wife and to my kids, we probably wouldn't have a very close relationship. Because for kids, here's my one piece of parenting advice to you: love is spelled T-I-M-E. It's spelled time. Like we, my family, we have a closer relationship when we spend time together. It's true for this. It's true for the spiritual body. Whenever it comes to my family, like my wife and I, our relationship is closer whenever I'm being selfless as opposed to being selfish. It's probably true with the spiritual body too. One of, this is like, I'm letting you behind the curtain of like pastoring, of pastoring, whenever guests come. If you're a guest, I'm so glad that you're here today. Uh, but, But sometimes whenever like, we're like, oh, I met this guest today, but they were just church shopping. They were they were church shopping today, and, and it's kind of like window shopping, but it, it's church shopping. And you know what? We're done because today we sang, and like I heard, the, I you guys heard, the, I know you guys heard the squealing too because I saw some of your faces. That, like, that, was, that was my face too. Oh, they were church shopping, but we don't have like we don't have the cool band that the other church has. We're we're a family. That's what the church is meant to be. That's what it's meant to be. And if I go to church, and right now I'm speaking to you, if you call New Life Baptist Church your home, if you go to church simply for, oh, what can I get out of the hour on Sunday morning, you're not being part of the family. If you come in looking for who you can bless, for who you can make a memory with, who you can serve, who you can love, who you can get to know better, I believe that that's Jesus's vision for the church. Jesus's vision for the church is a family on a mission, a family on a mission. And when we live that way, then we experience, like we experience, true joy in that. I love, and I was, I just shared this with somebody recently. So if I shared it with you, I'm sorry, but I love it. I think it's a perfect analogy in Israel. And I might have done it last week. So if I did, forgive me. Uh, in Israel there are two primary bodies of water in northern Israel there is a body of water called the Sea of Galilee it's a fresh body of water it's full of fish like there's one story where Jesus tells his disciples hey cast your nets over to the side and 153 fish just hop in the nets and pulls them in the boat like it's a fresh body of water there's lots of fish in there and then it's connected to another body of water in southern Israel called the Dead Sea now, the reason why it's called the Dead Sea is because it's filled with so much salt uh, that nothing can live in it. What's interesting is that it's also filled with so much salt that you can't actually drown in it unless you like, it goes on purpose, because you just float. The only difference between the two bodies of water, they have the same sources, they have the same connections. The only difference is that the Dead Sea has no outlet. The, out, the Dead Sea only receives. The Dead Sea only gets. And what happens is it makes it salty. I'm going to go with a dad joke right now. Like if all you do is come to church to get, you will end up salty. You will you will end up salty. I've been in I've been in church I've been going to church for a long long time, and you can always see it because it's the person who comes in who sits down and is just like, like you say hi and it's like, you're in my space. Somebody sits in their seat, and it's like that's my seat that I've been I've been sitting in that seat for the last thirty three years, and you better get up out of my space. (laughs) My blankets in that seat, my names on that chair. I, I I colored the I colored the the hymn book inside. Like that's someone who only receives, and who never pours out. A good, healthy, spiritual body is one that receives from the Lord. One who's filled with the gospel, and it's one who pours out into the lives of others. I love you guys. Y'all are an awesome church family. I could not be more thankful to be a part of this church family. Let's be a family. Let's be a family who's on mission for the sake of the gospel. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity that we've had to study your word. And Lord, I ask that you would make us into the family that you desire for us to be. you did not die and rise again to provide a once a week service. You died and rose again to make us a family. So Lord, I ask that you would make us that. Make us a family that genuinely loves each other, that knows when we're hurting, who knows when we're struggling, who who bears each other's burdens. Because you never designed for us to walk through burdens alone. You gave us your spirit and you gave us a family, so Lord, make us make us who you want us to be. And Lord Jesus, I do want to take a second and just thank you that you purchased the church with your own blood. You purchased for yourself a bride. And Lord, we we'll give you we give you thanks for that. In Jesus' name. If you would please keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a second, if you would keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just for just a moment. We talked about how Jesus died and Jesus rose again. Jesus died because you and I are sinners who are rebels against God. Yet Jesus came to earth as the Son of God. He never sinned. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could receive his righteousness and so we could be brought into his family. And maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor David, I do not know Jesus as my Savior. I've never put my faith and trust in Him, and I'm not sure that I'm a part of His family. But I would like to know how I can be a part of God's family. If you say, Pastor, I don't, I'm not sure that I'm a part of God's family, but I would like to know about how I can be a part of God's family. Would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? I won't call you out. I won't call you out. Thank you. I see that hand. I won't call you out. Thank you. You can put those hands down. Now I'll pray for you. I won't. I won't call you out. But if you would like to know more about that and you would like to talk to me, I would love to talk to you after the service and show you from the Bible how you can know for sure that you're a part of God's family. And maybe you're here today, you say, Pastor, like as, as we were looking at God's word, I realized that I've been distracted with a lot of things. Would you pray for me that I would refocus on being the, the church family member, being the Christian that God wants me to be? I've been distracted, but I want to refocus. Would you just raise your hand? I would love to pray for you. I won't call y'all. Thank you. I see hands all over the room. Thank you. Thank you. Let's let's pray together. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for who you are and for what you've done. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that you are an, an amazing Savior. Lord, for those who raised their hand and they said that they weren't sure that they were part of God's family. I pray that they would turn to you, that they would turn from their sin, and they would put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ to be their savior. And I ask that you give us that opportunity to help them uh, get the confidence that they need to know that they are part of God's family. And for all of us, Lord, I am in this boat. I get so easily distracted with so many things that I lose sight of. I lose sight of my relationship with you and my relationship. with with my spiritual family. And Lord, I pray for every person who raised their hand, who, who, who just, who confessed before you, they've been distracted with other things. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to refocus, help us to refocus on who you want us to be as a part of your family. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much uh, for being here today. Let's go ahead and stand together. We're gonna sing uh, one final song.